This is 105.9 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is good to hear. Hi, this is Craig Robertson, and this story is good to hear. Joining us is acclaimed author, poet, musician, and the very first black artist in residence with the Waterloo Region District School Board. His name is Antonio Michael Downing. A pleasure to have you on the show, Antonio Michael. Hey, no problem at all, Craig. I want to get into talking about your book, Saga Boy, but I want to start with your residency. You're the first black artist in residence with the Waterloo Region District School Board. How did this all come to be? Um, wow. I mean, it came about because of Saga Boy, I think, because, because, you know, as soon as uh, Saga Boy came out and, you know, I have a chapter in it called Glenview Park, which is, of course, Glenview Park Secondary School in Cambridge. Um, so I think that turned some heads at the, at the school board, but also, um, you know, my high school basketball coach, uh, Barry Lilly, who is also a teacher at Glenview Park and a, and a, a golf semi-pro in his day as well. Uh, um, he features throughout the book. Um, so there are a lot of connections to the board in the book. And I think that that sort of got a lot of people talking. It's kind of like hometown boy does good. And, uh, and it ended, the book ended up on the curriculum. I ended up you know, giving some talks at Glenview and, you know, this kind of, this kind of brainchild came up out of their, uh, their diversity and inclusion team there. They just thought, wow, this would be a great thing to, to have. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And I, of course, was, you know, I snapped it up. I jumped at the opportunity. You spent your high school years in Waterloo Region in Cambridge. So you're going back to the school where you went to to do all these seminars and workshops. This has to be a full circle kind of experience. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for how emotional it would be for me. It really is. Because, you know, there are some schools where there's a huge black population in the Waterloo, you know, board. But it's a, it's a very diverse board. You know, it goes from like a Cameron Heights, for example, or an Eastwood, and then you can have like an Elmira or a Glenview, which is just very different population. And so when I was coming up, you know, there were a handful of black students at um, Glenview. I think you could probably, I mean, I definitely have more fingers than there were black students at Glenview. Um, And so it was a really big thing and it shaped the experience in a way. And so coming back, that hasn't really changed. That hasn't really changed. And and I actually, you know, the big thing that was shocking was that um, they told me before, as I was starting the residency, they said, you know, you're probably going to be the only black sort of teacher figure, not even teacher, but figure that they will ever have in their whole school career and i and and i i was shocked and then i thought about it my own school career and i was like yeah because i i can't remember a single one that i had and you know it it doesn't take you long to figure out how much that matters about um about how you see yourself what you think is okay how safe you feel in the school which is you know if you haven't experienced being a minority, that's not a big deal. But if you have, you realize that, wow, having that authority figure that looks like you, you could see yourself in, 
which everyone else takes for granted, that's a big deal. And, and what do these workshops look like? Are you working with groups? Are you standing on a stage, talking, doing presentations? Um, it's, it's neither, really. Um, I really want to make it, I mean, first of all, it's about craft. So it's for artists. Okay, so it's not it's not just sort of me talking about the book. It's more about me talking about. So it's open to um, folks who are either visual artists, writers, or musicians, um, which are writing and musicians are kind of my my dis my my practice. But you know, I've also spent a lot of time thinking visually, making videos for my music, etc. So. Um, so we spend, we focus on storytelling primarily. So the idea is to help them develop their craft as creators. And, you know, even if they're not going to end up being artists for a living, you know, creativity and creative problem solving and being able to engage that conceptual part of your brain is not only in high demand in the business world, but as minorities, you have to create a problem solve a lot. And a lot of your work involves creating your own narrative or being a slave to someone else's because you're, you're not the dominant narrative and very often you get narratives put on you. So the ability to create a narrative for yourself, write a song or it's very empowering and very necessary. And so that's kind of what we're focused on. So I'm teaching some fundamentals of storytelling in those mediums and then they're doing their own individual practice and i'm helping them with that our guest antonio michael downing acclaimed author poet and musician i want to talk about your book saga boy which takes us on your journey from trinidad to, to canada your grandmother a huge influence in your in your life and your in your writing and in your music so take us back to those days and in, in trinidad when you were a young boy sitting on the porch with uh, with your grandmother by your side who was a big inspiration take us back to a, a young antonio michael growing up it was for me it seems like such a, another world, but of course, where you grow up is where you learn to see the world. And so it never leaves you, right? So those 11 years where I've lived many, many more years in Canada, they are kind of like my Garden of Eden, right? And literally it was a garden because you're talking South Trinidad. If you see it on a map, it's rainforest, um, unlimited sunshine, unlimited rainfall, just like big trees, big fruit, big animals, big insects, um, just a bursting with life and growth. And my grandma, you know, she raised me and my brother on a little one road village. And she taught me sort of the biggest things that to this day still define my life. Two things. Number one, how to read. She would love to read her her Proverbs and Psalms in her King James Bible. Her eyes were bad, so she taught me how to read when I was barely four. I wasn't even four yet, so that I could be her eyes. And then she was always singing, always, always singing. And so I sort of learned these two ways of existing, really, but also using sort of creativity to kind of turn whatever was wrong about your day or your life or your situation into something positive. And that's how I learned the power of art. And to this day, I'm a singer and I'm a writer. So it, it had a big impact. <laughs> 
I wanted to touch on your music too. Your music persona is John Orpheus. That's your stage name. A very poetic, very classic name. Um, why this name and how does it work when you're performing and you're wearing this pseudonym, you're wearing this mask, so to speak? How does that play out when you perform live? Yeah, well, that's such an interesting thing. And people always ask me about it. Um, and I think the difference between how we see masks in Canada and how we see it in Trinidad specifically. In Trinidad, when we do carnival, which, you know, Caravana is based on, you've all seen the people in the street in the, in the crazy costumes. Um, we put, we call it playing mass. And when you play mass, you do it not to hide yourself, but to reveal yourself. It came from the slaves who had no control over their lives, but they would get this party for a couple nights out of the year where all those parts of themselves that were repressed could come out. And so when you think about personas, people always go, well, who's the real you? But actually I'm wearing that mask so I can show you the real me. And in terms of John Orpheus, there were two parts to it. So sticking with the carnival theme in Trinidad, when the party goes from being really good to being just chaos, which is when it's really, really good, we yell out Bacchanal, Bacchanal. And so Bacchanal is a shout out to Bacchus, the Roman god of, of wine and song, whose Greek identity is Dionysius, of course, and the greatest accol. So I didn't want to say, you know, Johnny Bacchanal, because that's too obvious, I felt. So the greatest sort of devotee to Dionysius was Orpheus, who was a great musician, who when he played and sang, the animals would stop and listen and land on him. And Johnny is because when I performed, the first performers I ever saw were preachers on, on, in, uh, in churches, like Pentecostal preachers in Trinidad. So whenever I perform, I kind of behave like a preacher. And my, my grandmother's father, Johnny Richardson, was a great preacher. So I thought, ah, John Orpheus. So it's kind of a shout out to my Trinidadian roots even though it sounds very Greek and classical, but you know, when you live, when you grow up in a British colony, you're always mixing the European heritage with the African heritage. They're one and the same. Like when I was five, I couldn't speak Yoruba, which is my people where we're from, but I could tell you how long it took Odysseus to get back to Ithaca. So it's like that kind of Western, like South and North meeting together is very normal. So um, it's not, it's, it's actually just a shout out to Trinidad and those roots. Yeah. If your grandmother was with us today and looking at all your successes in writing and in music, and now you're an artist in residence, uh, what would she, what would she say to you? <laughs> well, in, in, in my song, Fella Woke, which I, I write about Fela Kuti and Bob Marley and my grandmother, these three heroes of mine who passed. And in that song, she says to me, she says, um, I say, um, I awoke on the day grandma died and I cried and I cried until the, the, the tears stopped my throat because she was the gardener and I was the soil. She said, boy, you got a long road. You got a long road full of love, but full of toil. And so I feel like that's what she would say to me. She would say to me, "Well done, 
but we got we still got miles to go before we sleep. And what's on your plate, Antonio Michael? What's on your plate now? Another another book, some more some more new music. Oh, I mean, I feel like another book, some more music is kind of permanently what's on my plate. So um, I just finished a novel called Butterfly, uh, which is about uh, African gods being reincarnated in America. And that's just done, signed, sealed, delivered. Um, I'm working on a book of essays and I have a children's book coming out later on in the year, a picture book. And yeah, we are, um, I'm heading to London, England for a couple shows at the end of May. And when I come back, I'm making a new album. Well, we're going to have to have you back on the show, reconnect with you when you release this material. It's been a pleasure. Antonio Michael Downing, author, poet, musician, the first black artist in residence with the Waterloo Region District School Board. Thank you very much, Antonio Michael. A pleasure. Thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate you, sir. And that's good to hear. I'm Craig Robertson on 105.9 The Region. Good to hear. We'll be right back on 105.9 The Region. Listen live at 1059theregion.com or 105.9 FM. This is 1059 The Region with your stories, the good news in our neighborhoods, our cities, our country, and beyond. This is good to hear. While new things and big things are happening in Vaughan and Maple, and to talk more about it, I'm thrilled to be joined by Margie Singleton. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Vaughan Public Libraries to talk more about all the big things happening, especially at the Maple Library and Community Centre. Well, Margie, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Jim, and I'm delighted to be able to talk to you about the library. This is great. Well, it, it is great. Coming up on April 26th at 9 a.m., it's the grand reopening celebration. A lot of time and effort and money have gone into a complete revitalization of this Maple Library. And you look at some of the list of stuff going into it, it is like a completely new facility, Marky. You're right, it is. It's a, and it's a completely different shape also. It's, um, it, we've, we've made it a little smaller than it was previously, but we've added a whole bunch of really exciting features that I'm sure the community is going to love. Well, I mean, right off the bat, there's stuff like free Wi-Fi, uh, a bright and vibrant story time area, a lounge seating, outdoor reading garden, stuff like that. I mean, I think it adds to the experience of going to the library. I, I agree with you completely, and I think we, we did have Wi-Fi before, and we had the Maple Library was was about thirty years old, so you can imagine it was a bit tired looking, and it was the original carpet and the original paint, and it needed to be updated. So it's a completely different library than it was before. I think people will be shocked when they come in to see how vibrant it is and how energetic. I think compared to the old, more muted colors and and really quite dirty carpet it was so. <laughs> well a carpet has a, a habit of getting dirty uh located at 10190 keel street the maple library community center also features a fitness facility and gymnasium and a part of the revitalization is an updated fitness center change rooms and automatic door openers and in the light of everything happening in the last couple of years that's that's a nice improvement as well marky it is and it's time there's no question um, the one, one thing that we did add to the library that's new and exciting is this really magnificent reading garden that we didn't have on that site before. 
So it's, it's an outdoor space, and we try to incorporate outdoor spaces in all of our libraries in Vaughan. Um, it's an outdoor space, but it has, it has a structure, an overhead structure that has lighting on it, and it's very architecturally interesting, and it's, uh, it acts as a beacon to Keel Street, where it would, will draw people in that they may not notice, but kind of a, a flat building, this magnificent reading garden structure that stands out. It's going to be great. Um, the, all of the accessibility features that have been added to the library and the community center, there's something that, that we, um, to be responsible to our citizens, it's something that we should be doing, and we are. Now, we're very pleased with that. Indeed. Speaking with Margie Singleton, a good to hear. She is a chief executive officer of the Vaughn Public Libraries and thrilled to be announcing the new and re- rejuvenated Maple Public Library and Community Center that's reopening on April 26th at 9 a.m. Uh, when you had a vision and your staff had a vision of what the Maple Library would look like, uh, I'm sure you're like, geez, I hope it looks like this. When it was done, what was your first impression seeing the final product? Just in awe, to be very honest. The architectural firm... Uh, the board defines the vision, how they want it to look, and the architectural firm took that vision that was words on paper, and they've made it into a reality. And it was they have done a magnificent job. And I think if you are able to stop by, we would love to show it to you. But they really have done just an outstanding job of translating words on paper with a vision into a, a site that is that is reflective of everything that we that we try to um, relay and support at Vaughan Public Libraries. They're they're amazing. This architectural firm. And and I guess with 2022 now, Margie, the themes, functionality, accessibility, sustainability are the bedrock of everything going on right now. And this is kind of a blueprint when you think about what you've done with the Maple Library of other facilities in the future. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing that's happening now is we are seeing um, how people need to get together. Mm-hmm. People need to have spaces where they can come, they can congregate. They can feel comfortable. They can feel safe. And I think with the, the, what this library does, it creates a space that is welcoming where people people can sit quietly alone or they can study at a study table. They can attend a program. Um, but the, the fact that people need to get together again, this space is going to facilitate that very well. And I think we, we've always had that need. We're human beings. We've always had that need. But it's just grown and and become greater uh, as we've lived through this horrible pandemic. And it's like a tsunami now that we can finally get together and people are just so excited by it. I think that the library is going to be the spot that people congregate in the Maple community. I love it. Now, one of the list of things in the <laughs> renovations, it says accessible millwork in the staff area. What does that mean, Margie? Um, there's there's spots there. When we say accessible, we're thinking of the AODA requirements um, uh. more more than accessible to people with other languages or things like that. So, so any of the tables have spots. The desk has a spot that if someone is using a wheelchair, they can pull up to the wheelchair. Um, it's, and there are no stairs. It's a one level. The space between the shelves is sufficient that has a great turn radius for people who are using assistive devices, whether it's wheelchairs or walkers or things like that. So um, it's, AODA is, it defines the, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, sorry, AODA. That's what defines the standards, um, and that's what we have incorporated into these renovations. 
Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, I've had the the privilege of speaking to David Onley before and something he's talked about. It's great to see this being put into practice so that people of all abilities can enjoy everything the Maple Library and Community Center has to offer. I, I agree with you completely. Yeah, you must. You know what? Take a bow, Margie. You and your staff have done something special. Of course, I'm on the air Tuesday at 9 a.m. on April 26th. But once I'm off the air, I'm going to stop by. I want to say hi. I want to get a selfie with you. And I want to see this magnificent new facility. It's a real hallmark in Vaughan and York region. The grand reopening celebration of the Maple Library and Community Center Tuesday, April 26th at 9 a.m. with a few dignitaries. I don't know who's going to be more important and dignitary than you, Margaret, because you're the, the reason this is happening as the CEO of Vaughn Public Libraries. Yeah, well, thank you, Jim. But you know who's going to be the most important is we have invited some junior kindergarten kids from St. David's School to come over and be there with us when we open those doors for the first time for the public. And that piece, the most important, is to have those kids in our library. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an exciting day. We're going to have a, a puppet show. There's going to be the Paper Bag Princess and Elephant and Piggy are two different puppet shows that we're going to be putting on for these. The kids will be there. There'll be all kinds of activities after school for other families that want to come in. Um, we do a lot of STEAM programs, which is science, technology, arts, and math. I think that's I miss engineering. I miss the E. Um, so that's going to be happening after school for the kids too. But I think, you know, yeah, we get the we have the beauty of being the ones who stand at the podium, myself and the politicians, <laughs> and we get to uh, be the ones that, that are there showcasing. But the really important people on that day are the kids that we've built this for. Well said. Get more details at <laughs> vonpl.info. Margie, thank you so much. Uh, well done, and oh. can't wait to see it. No trouble, and I look forward to meeting you in person, Jim. That's great. Showing off our new thing. Wonderful. <laughs> good to hear. This is the good news. Well, even though Mother Nature is toying with us, we are indeed in spring, and that means back to the diamonds and to the soccer pitches. In particular, we're going back to the diamonds with the Newmarket Miner Softball Association, the Newmarket Stingers, and some incredible news about girls sports and girls softball. Glenn Burton is the executive director of the Newmarket Minor Softball Association. Hey, Glenn. Great to be with you, Kevin. So this particular news that, that we're about to talk about, it pertains to girls house league softball, something that doesn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's the story. We, we want to be shouting from the highest... Uh, uh, hills and and to let everyone know that there's a lot of really cool things going on at the house league level in the region, specifically between uh, Newmarket and our sister associations in Stouffville, Markham, Richmond Hill, and Aurora, uh, and really promoting and developing and growing the house league level sports for girls uh, playing softball. And I think the um, for us anyways the really cool thing that started to happen a couple of years ago was our associations had reached out to each other and uh, trying to find unique and creative ways to connect and grow our members. And um, we have developed a uh, an association between our, our, our groups that uh, for the first time, I guess, and even in Southern Ontario at the House League level, we're playing home and away games from U9 right up to 
U21 at the, for girls. And uh, it's been a very interesting, successful story that continues to grow today. One of the big difficulties when it comes to, to girls' sports in particular is they're playing catch-up. Uh, they're quite often considered second-class almost. And the interest isn't as big, or it hasn't been in the past, as it has with boy sports. However, boy, are you changing things? Absolutely. We, we, uh, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head there with the comment. It, it's been an interesting journey for us uh, as an association trying to figure out ways and incentivize girls to, to play. The interest is there. The competition is there. The effort is there. But, uh, you know, the, the challenges are simple things like uh, are there uh, uniforms that come in girls' sizes available for our players? Um, we, we've been really pushing and, and uh, throughout York Region to develop both female umpires, female coaches. Uh, we even received just recently a Jumpstart grant to help us in those efforts. But uh, it's great when you've got the funding. It's not so great when the girls and we go shopping for clothes and uh, they just aren't there. It's getting better, but uh, it's still a ways to go. You're right. We are playing catch-up. And the interest, though, has been incredible. It has. And I think the, uh, the, probably the best news is that each association at its core has, has essentially gone out to say, if there's a girl who wants to play, we will make sure that that happens. So regardless of uh, who she is, uh, socioeconomic background, uh, challenges, uh, anything that, that they may face, we're trying to ensure that each girl who wants to sign up and play has the opportunity to play a season of ball. And um, I think personally, anyways, uh, last year was a really sort of a, a turning point for us just coming out of COVID and uh, pandemic. And we did get a condensed shortened season in. And um, I think the most remarkable thing for me personally was uh, watching the girls arrive at the Diamond for the very first time after, let's say, almost a year and a half at that point in time and reconnecting with their teammates, reconnecting with uh, friends, new making new friends, and this is all in in the same sort of playing field, if you will, as uh, um, no cell phones, no uh, social media, nothing. It was just simply laughs, um, giggles, uh, shouting, running, throwing, catching, mm-hmm. hitting, and just engaging with each other for the first time. And that that's been a catalyst that's helped to see a forty percent growth again this year over even pre-pandemic numbers 40 percent. so that that's amazing so the, the interest is definitely there uh, you're you're providing uh, a platform that is going to be much more competitive than what they've been used to and also you're saying that you're going to be highlighting female coaches female umpires and improving area female business leaders to to connect with the players yeah, we wanted to, we're, you know, the challenges for at the school, most of the girls that are going to school, regardless of where they are in the, in the region, um, the ability to make those connections in the community is has been very challenging, to say the least, over the last two years. But we, we thought we have an interesting platform, especially at the softball level, where um, for, you know, working with area businesses who help sponsor us and so on, 
it, it became really clear that most of the successful business leaders, female business leaders that we knew and that we were connecting with, told us that sports was a big part of their background. And in many cases for us in York region, it's, it's softball was a very common theme. And so the challenge was, could we bring some of these business leaders? These are female engineers, program directors, uh, their teachers, their doctors, every walk of life. Could they come in and meet with the girls and talk with them and really follow that if you see it, you can be it mantra that we believe is, is so important for young girls to become leaders both on and off the diamond. Indeed, very good news to hear. If you want more information, you can check out newmarketstingers.ca. I've been talking with Glenn Burton, Executive Director of the Newmarket Miners Softball Association. Thank you, Glenn, and good luck this season. Let's play ball. <laughs> Send us your good news stories at info at 1059theregion.com. This is good to hear.